five, the pioneer. In the village the next morning, criers ran through the street calling to the people of Sparks. They told them to bring out all their old blankets, pillows, towels, and rags, and any clothes they no longer needed. They were to heap these on the street in front of their houses. From the storehouse, people collected food, things they didn't need, things that didn't need to be cooked, like apples from the prior fall, and dried apricots, and bread, and big hunks of cheese. Dune, who had gotten up at the first sign of light in the sky, watched these preparations with rising excitement. By midday, a caravan was moving southward out of the village. <clears throat> it was composed of strange vehicles that the villagers called truck wagons, or just trucks. They were made of rusty metal and had four fat black wheels. At the front was a boxy part, like a metal chest, with a rounded top. And the behind that was a higher box, with two seats in front where the driver sat. The back of the truck was flat, and this is where the crates of supplies were loaded. Attached to each of these trucks by sturdy ropes were two big, squarish, muscular animals, by far the most enormous animals Dune had ever seen. They made snuffling noises and sometimes a low sort of groan. What are they? Dune had asked someone walking near him. Oxen, the man answered, like cows, you know. But milk come from? Dune had never heard of cows. He had thought milk came out of the powder in a box. He didn't say anything, though, of course. He just nodded. And what does truck mean? He asked. He understood the wagon part. <clears throat> the man looked surprised. It just means truck. He said, you know, what people used to drive in the old days? <clears throat> there are millions of them, trucks and cars everywhere. They used to run on their own without oxen. They had engines in here, he wrapped on the front of the truck. And you poured stuff called gasoline on the engine, and it made the wheels turn. Now, since we don't have gasoline anymore, we take the engines out, and that makes the trucks light and easy to pull. <clears throat> Dude didn't ask what gasoline was. <clears throat> He didn't want to show his ignorance all at once. He spread his questions around and find out just a few things at once from one person at a time. He and his father walked alongside together <clears throat> beside one of the trucks. Dune had expected Lena to be with them, but by the time the caravan left, she hadn't come. That was all right. She'd easily find out where they'd gone and come later. Dune's father still had sore muscles from the long walk of the days before. So Dune soon went ahead of him. He was bursting with energy and joy and simply could not walk slowly. He took deep breaths of sweet-smelling morning air. Over his head, the sky was a deep, clear blue, a thousand times bigger than the black lid that had covered Ember. And around him were green and golden land, seemed to stretch away without end. Dune kept wondering where the edges were. He made his way to the front of the procession and asked Wilmer, who was trotting along with uh, his arms swinging. Edges, said Wilmer, glancing down. Yeah, I mean, if I were standing way over there, he pointed to the horizon where the sky seemed to meet the land. Would I be at the edge of this place? And what's beyond the edge? There is no edges, said Wilmer, looking at Dune as if he must have, some, must have something wrong with him. The earth is a sphere, a huge round ball. If you kept going and going, you'd eventually come back to where you started. This nearly knocked the breath out of Dune. It was so strange and hard to comprehend. He thought at first that Wilmer was playing a joke of him, thinking he was a fool. But Wilmer's expression was plainly puzzled, not sly. He must be telling the truth. 
There were a million mysteries here, Dune thought, and he would explore them all. He would learn everything. That morning, he had already learned the words sun, tree, wind, star, and bird. He learned dog, chicken, goat, and bread. He had never in his life felt so good. He felt as huge as the land around him and as clear as bright as the air. No laboring in the dank tungles, tunnels here. No running through the dark streets to escape pursuit. Now he was out in the open, free. And he was powerful, too, in a way he hadn't been before. He had done something remarkable. He saved his people from their dying city. And along with Lena, he would be known for that deed of all his life. He gazed around at the new world, full of life and beauty, and he was proud to have brought this, has proud to have brought his people here. The road passed the last houses of the village and ran along the river, which was wide and slow, with grasses bending along its banks. The trucks rattled, clouds of dust billowed from the wheels. All around Dune rose, all around Dune rose babbles of the voices of people pointing out things out of their own astonishment. Look, something white floating in the sky. Did you see that little animal with the big tail? Do you feel that? The air is moving. Children darted every which way, daring each other to touch the broad sides of the oxen, plucking blossoms from the brambles at the edge of the road, jumping into the trucks for a quick ride until they were shooed off again. And then the sun shone down on everyone. The people of Ember loved the strange feeling of heat on the tops of their heads. They put their hands up often to touch the warm air. The road went on in a gentle rise and around a clump of trees. Here we are, cried Wilmer, sweeping his arms out proudly. The Pioneer Hotel. At the crest of the slope stood a building bigger than any dune had ever seen. It was three stories high and very long, with the wind at each end perpendicular to the main part. Windows watched in three rows across its wall. In the center, overlooking a long field that sloped down the river, was what must what must have been a grand entrance. Wide steps, a roof held up by columns, a double doorway. But the building was not so grand anymore. It was very old. Dune could tell. Its walls were gray and stained, and most of the windows were no more than dark holes. The roof had sagged inward in some places. Grass grew right up the steps. And far down at the other end, Dune could see that a tree had fallen against the building and smashed it in the corner of it. Ben Barlow strode across the wide, weedy field in front of the hotel and climbed the stairs. Wilmer followed. He leaned against the column, and Ben took a position on the top step and waited for the crowd of refugees to assemble before him. Dune wove among the people until he found his father again, and they stood together. Ben held up both hands and called attention, please. The crowd grew silent. Welcome to your new home, the Pioneer Hotel, he said. A cheer arose from the crowd. Ben frowned and held up both hands, palms out, and the cheer died again. It is a temporary home only, he said. We cannot, of course, keep you here in Sparks on a permanent basis. To do so would severely strain our resources and no doubt cause resentment and deprivation among our people. Ben cleared his throat and frowned into the air. Then he went on. We have decided you may stay here for six months, through summer and fall to the end of the month of chilling. After that time, with the training you received from us, you will go out into the empty lands and found your village, found a village of your own. The people of Ember glanced at each other in surprise. Found their own village? 
Some of them smiled eagerly at the idea, but others looked uncertain. The city of Ember had been constructed for them. All they ever had to do was repair the work on the buildings as they got older. They never built anything from scratch. But Dune said to himself, thinking about all this, I'm sure we could do it. <clears throat> ben went on. The Pioneer Hotel has 75 rooms, he said, plus a big dining room, a ballroom, offices, and a lobby. There will be adequate space for everyone. Excitement's murmur swept through the crowd. Dune started doing the math in his head. 417 people divided by 75 rooms equals five or six people to a room. That sounded crowded. Maybe they were big rooms. And then there was the dining room and the ballroom, whatever that was. Maybe those would hold 10 or 20 people. Now, of course, this building is somewhat less than fully functional, Ben said. You won't have water pumps here like we do in the village. But the river's close, just down the slope, and the water's clean. The river will provide water for drinking, bathing, and washing clothes. Your toilets will be outside. You'll start digging them tomorrow, once you've organized into your work teams. Today, we'll settle you in, you'll settle into your rooms. He paused, frowning. The two lines between his eyebrows deepened. There's not much furniture left in the rooms, he said. Maybe a few rooms will have a bed, but I think we've taken most of them by now. You'll be sleeping on the floor. Sleeping on the floor? The voice came from somewhere behind Dune. Its tone was somewhere between outrage and amused disbelief. Dune turned around to see who it was. From, who it was. In the middle of the crowd, he spotted, spotted a tall boy, a young man, really, who seemed to be standing up on something, maybe a rock or a tree stump, so that he could look over people's heads. He was handsome in a sharp-edged way. His jaw was squared corner. His shoulders were straight as a board. His dark hair was combed back from his face and slicked down, so his head looked neat and round and hard, and his eyes were as pale as bits of the sky. Dune recognized the boy, though he didn't know his name. It was Mick or Trick or Mac or, or something like that. On the floor, yes, said Ben, but we'll give you as many blankets as we can. The boy's sharp voice came again, rising above the others. One more question, sir. What about food? The question rippled through the crowds. Yes, food. What will we eat? Ben raised his voice. Please listen, he shouted. Listen. All faces turned toward him again. Dune could see that Ben's eyes were fixed on that boy with the sharp voice. Ben had the look of a teacher <coughs> speaking to a slightly unruly class. Eating will work this way, he said. You'll be assigned to households in the village. Four or five people to a house. At noontime, you will go there for your main meal. He paused and frowned. As for breakfast and dinner, your lunchtime family will give you food to take away with you. Some to eat in the evening and then some to save in the next morning. They will be as generous as they can, but remember, we don't have an abundance of extra food. Your arrival means less for everyone. He gazed at the crowd for a moment and then took a breath. Is that clear? He said. Any questions? No one spoke for a moment, and then the tall boy said, No, sir. Lead on. So Ben led the way into the lobby of the ancient Pioneer Hotel. Dude and his father stayed close together, stepping carefully. It was hard to see. The only light came from the doorway behind them and from a great hole in the dirt-encrusted glass dome three stories above their head. The floor was littered with chunks of fallen plaster and gritty with dirt that had blown in over the years.
This place needs some work, Dune whispered to his father. His father brushed a spiderweb away from his face. Yes, he said, but we're lucky to be here. We could be sleeping on the ground. Ben led them down the hall to the left, to a vast room with a high window, where dusty sunshine slanted across the broken tiles of the floor. This was the dining room, Ben called out. June saw a few chairs lying on their sides, but most of them with legs broken or missing. Beyond the dining room was a room even more immense, with a raised platform at one end, a high ceiling and a wooden floor. The ballroom, Ben said. In earlier years before the disaster, musicians sat up there on the stage. People danced out here. And that gray high window hung tatters at the great height. Ah, can't even read today. At the great high windows hung tatters of faded rose-colored cloth that had been curtains years ago. Smells moldy in here. It was that boy again. His clear, sharp voice, sharp voice carried over other voices, even though it wasn't that much louder. Reminds me of home. People laughed. It was true. The smell of mold was common in the underground city of Ember. There was a bit of comfort in it. Dune suddenly remembered the name of this tall boy who kept speaking out. It was Tick. Tick Hassler. In Ember, Dune recalled Tick had been a hauler. He had pulled carts full of produce from the greenhouse to the stores and garbage from the stores out to the trash heaps. Dune hadn't known him then, but he remembered seeing him pulling his loaded cart with his whole long body slanted forward with a fierce grin of effort on his face. He pulled his carts faster than anyone else. Men led them to the stairs, and they climbed to the floors above. Long, dim corridors lined with the doors stretched to the length of the building. Some of the doors were open. Dune looked through them as he passed. All the rooms were more or less the same. Windows across one wall, a stained and faded carpet, a couple of broken lamps lying on the floor. A few of the rooms had beds, and several had other furniture, chests with their drawers hanging crookedly out, end tables with a chair or two. He stepped into some of the rooms and found that they had bathrooms at well, with rusted, rust-stained sinks and bathtubs that were home to spiders. For the next couple of hours, people swarmed through the corridors and up and down the stairwell, calling to each other as they chose their room and then decided who they were going to share with. People grouped together, chose a room, and they changed their minds and teamed up with another group. Shots rang through the hall. Jake, down here. No, this one's better. It has a chair. Mama, where are you? This room's full. No more people. Dude heard Tick's voice ringing out over the others now and then. He wondered which room he was choosing and who he was choosing to live with. Finally, everyone was settled. Dude and his father chose a room on the second floor, room 215, along with two other people. One was Edward Pocket, who had been Ember's librarian. He was a friend of Dune's in a way. He was old and often crabby, but he liked Dune, who had been a frequent visitor to the library. The other was Sag Merrill, the man who had tried to venture out into the unknown regions beyond the city of Ember. For a while after that experience, he had gone out of his mind with fright and raved in the Harkin Square about monsters and doom. He'd recovered somewhat since. In spite of his terror, he managed to climb into one of those boats that took the people out of the city into the new world. But he was still fearful, trembling sort of person. Nearly everything about this unfamiliar place scared him. He refused to go near the window to the new room. Something might come in, he said. There's things here that fly. The four of them set up to work fixing up the room. It was full of cobwebs. 
Two of its three windows were broken, and bits of dry leaves and splinters of glass glittered the carpet. It also had a dresser with three drawers, a padded armchair with a sunken seat, and two end tables with lamps. They took the socks off and used them to dust as dust rags to sweep down the cobwebs. They picked up the leaves and glass and tossed them out the window. They put the lamps out in the hall. They were useless, of course, since there's no electricity. And then they lined up the dresser and end tables in the middle of the room to make sort of a wall dividing the space in two. There was enough room for Dune and his father to spread their blankets on the floor on one side and then Sag to spread his on the other. Edward Pocket, who was very short, decided to spread his blanket on the floor in the large closet, which had a sliding door. He said it didn't mind being slightly cramped. He liked his privacy. That night, Dune didn't sleep much. He would lay on his folded blankets and stare up through the window at the dark sky. His mind teemed with possibilities. So much to do, so much to learn. He felt suddenly older and stronger, though it had been less than a week since he left Ember. But he was a new person in this new world. He would do new things and be friends with new people. Maybe, he thought, remembering the voice that he had stood out the others the other day. Maybe he'd be friends with Tick. Thank <laughs> you.